Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, sisters. Welcome to She Talks, a space for you to come home to your inner wisdom, which I call your she. I'm Sarah Von Stover, and this is our fifth and final episode in our seasonal series here on the podcast, Poolside Sutras. This has definitely been a fun way for me to share in the joys of summer with you, while also going deeper into our practice life. I hope that you've enjoyed this as much as I have. Because my intention behind this series has been to offer you some sisterly support, both emotionally and practically, in deepening in our feminine spirituality, 
both the on the mat, on the cushion practice of it and in the teaching of it to others. And it's also been to remind us that feminine wisdom is embodied. It's everywhere in every breath, sway of your hips and blue shimmer across that swimming pool. And today's talk is a fitting finale for our series because it's all about teaching. And I'd like to add that even if you're not a yoga teacher or don't desire to become a yoga teacher, the stories and concepts that I'm going to share today can also be applied to whatever passion or career you're most involved in or interested in exploring. But before we dive into all that, I want to make sure to point out that the teachings and practices I've shared over the past weeks are precisely the kinds of topics that women get a huge amount of help with in my upcoming week-long practice intensive, the She Yoga and Meditation Teacher Training. Because in this retreat-like gathering, you get my loving and fierce support, my teachings and my handholding around your practice and teaching as a feminine being. So we'll explore everything from adapting your practice to your cycle to creating inspiring yin and flow sequences for feminine bodies and hearts to carving out a niche and developing a following within women's yoga and meditation to cultivating a fulfilling daily practice that helps you to show up as the best version of yourself every day, to making peace with the warring voices inside your head that are always telling you that you're a fraud or you're just not good enough. Because life, let's be honest, can be challenging. And being a woman can certainly be challenging. And keeping your heart open in the midst of it all can be really, really challenging. Staying on top of and inspired by your yoga and meditation practice can be challenging. But what I've found over and over again in my own life and in the lives of the women that I teach is that trying to face any of these things without looking through a sacred lens And without standing on a strong foundation of a daily practice is far, far harder. So after going through this training with me, most women see a huge reduction in stress and a huge increase in personal power and inner peace. They feel excited to wake up in the morning and meditate They feel patient with their children, at least more patient. (laughs) They get a new idea for their teaching career and feel just lit up to implement it. And not surprising, women see a huge increase in the overall sense of happiness and joy that they hold in their hearts after completing this training. So this unconventional gathering is created for women by women, and it's the best way I know of to rejuvenate and reignite 
your practice and in turn, really every area of your life. You can learn more at sheyogatraining.com. But registration closes really soon, so don't wait too long before exploring this. No pressure. I want you to follow your own rhythms and always do what's right for you. I just want to let you know that this year's circle is forming and registration ends in just a few days. Now, on to today's talk. As I mentioned earlier, it's about taking our insights from our own practice and bringing them out into the world in service of helping others. Because to conclude this series that answers your biggest questions about women's yoga and meditation, we're going to look at what those of you who teach or aspire to teach are struggling with the most. So settle into your chaise lounge, soak in the twinkling blue view, exhale, and enjoy. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at yoga practice, we've looked at a meditation practice, we've looked at specifically women's yoga and yin yoga. And today, to conclude, we're going to look at the, the teaching of yoga and meditation. So one of the problems that we face as yoga teachers is that really yoga teachers are now a dime a dozen. And there's a joke where I live here in Boulder is that you could throw a stone on the street and you would most likely hit a yoga teacher because there are so many of us. And this makes it very hard to build a following, to make a living, to really carve out a space for oneself. And it's a real problem that we need to look at, we need to talk about and get real about. When I started out teaching yoga, I came from my first, my 200 hour teacher training. So I had my certification with the Yoga Alliance, which is really needed by studios and health clubs and gyms to see that you're a credible yoga teacher as well as a certificate of graduation from a yoga school. So I had that in hand and I just hit the pavement and I went to every yoga studio, every gym, every health club, and I applied to teach yoga there. In most cases, I got on the sub list. That's usually the first place to start. You get on the sub list and you start subbing classes and then if people like you, if you get in with the studio owner, then when a, a new time slot opens up, most likely you can step into it. And that's what I did. I was really diligent about this. And I ended up getting several classes across about four different different places, not all of them yoga studios. So one of them was at a women's gym the kind of place that I would never, ever go to if left to my own devices. And that class was at like seven o'clock on Tuesday night, something random like that. And it was dark with hot pink 
kind of neon lights. And there was, there were cardio machines and weights around the periphery of the room. And in the middle was the yoga space or the exercise class space. So it wasn't a private room, but anyone who was working out could just watch us. And there was music playing overhead that everyone in the gym could listen to. And this is where I had to teach a yoga class. And (laughs) those of you who know me, you know that that is very just not aligned with my personality, with how I run my energy. And it was a real challenge. I dreaded, I absolutely dreaded Tuesday nights. I dreaded driving to that class and teaching that class. It was freezing. It was overstimulating. And I didn't feel like I was a very effective yoga teacher under the circumstances. But I just kept having to reassure myself that I'm getting practice, I'm getting experience. And these people are getting something out of it. They they want to take a class in this type of place. These are people who wouldn't go to a yoga studio. So this is this is how I can meet them where they are. And not to mention that this didn't pay very well. It was maybe like $25 or something for a class. There was another health club that I taught at, which was a little bit better. It was actually a nice kind of resort with a nice health club. And I taught, this had a closed in room, kind of an exercise room and had mirrors. Again, it had AC. There was no control over the temperature. So it was often quite chilly when I would go in there. And it was a great group of people who really loved this health club. They, it was part of their routine. And again, I started out subbing. And then when there was a space available, I took that space. So it kind of inherited the students who were at this other teacher's class into, into this one And each week I got to know them, got to know their personalities, and it ended up being more palatable. And one of the perks of teaching in a place like that, even if I didn't get paid very well, was that I could use the workout facilities. I got a discount on the rooms there. So for instance, like when my mom would come to visit, she could stay in a nice room for very little and we could eat at the restaurant for very little and that those are kinds of perks that I enjoy more lifestyle perks and then I taught at my favorite yoga studio in town and this was where I was taking a lot of classes you know at least a few times a week maybe more both dance classes and yoga classes And I started out subbing there for the teacher whose classes I liked to take. She was a very popular teacher. So it was kind of big shoes to step into. And I was very, it would be very nervous when I would teach her, teach her class. But it it helped that I was her student and that I was really passionate and that made her want to choose me to be a sub for her class and to get that kind of exposure and experience of teaching a really large group of people. Because her classes were the kind that were just packed mat to mat. Like you couldn't even fit another body in there if you tried. So to be able to teach a class like that was a, a great, great practice for me. And eventually a spot opened up at that studio. It was not a very good spot. For those of you who know, when you're new to teaching at a studio, you usually get the worst time slot. And it was something like 7 a.m. on Saturday mornings. 
And I don't know about you, but I like to sleep in on the weekends. Even if for me sleeping in is like eight o'clock, I, I like to move slowly on weekend mornings. And it's usually, you know, people usually don't go to yoga classes until like nine, 10, 11 a.m. on Saturdays. So needless to say, this was a very, very small class, sometimes one, two, three people, sometimes no people. I've had many classes where I've shown up to no one and have just done my own practice or I've just gone home. Or I've had many classes where I've just had one person and I've basically had to teach a private for, you know, I get paid $20 for that. So very, very humbling start. And I was also teaching a lot of private lessons and I was marketing private lessons that was more lucrative and that would also bring those private students to my group classes to help fill up those group classes and kind of create a following. And I was marketing up the wazoo. And this was back before the days of social media and really before much of, you know, websites. I I did get a website shortly after this, but it was mostly flyers. I did a lot of kind of creative flyers usually that I made myself and leaving business cards around and just a lot of word of mouth and meeting the people who were influential, again, getting on the sub list, going to classes, just being around, being visible, being eager, being hungry for the work and just doing what I needed to do to make it happen and piecing together all of these classes, piecing together, you know, $25 here, $100 there. And that was, that was how I started my yoga teaching. Now, gradually, gradually, I began to feel confident enough and get, you know, a large enough following to, to lead a three hour workshop once at a studio. And it was a a women's workshop. It was in the late afternoon, early evening And I taught it at one of the studios that one of my friends owned and, and this was a man and and I had subbed a lot of his classes. He also had a big following. He was a real fixture in the community in Chiang Mai, Thailand. Like for instance, he was listed in the Lonely Planet guide back in the day when Lonely Planet was, you know, the mode through which people would travel to places and, and see what are the hot spots, what are the places to go and where should I eat and where should I stay? And he got listed in there and his studio was listed in there. So a lot of people passing through would come to his classes and a lot of the expats went to his classes and he would invite me to sub when he would go out of town. And he invited me, he heard great things about my classes that I subbed, his students were really raving about what I was teaching. And he invited me to teach a workshop. And so I decided, well, I want to teach a women's workshop. And I ended up having a full house, a full house of women. And it was so fun. I just enjoyed myself immensely. I got to bring out kind of all of my geeky lesson planning skills because you know, I've, I've always been kind of a teacher at heart, having moved to Thailand to teach at an international school. And growing up, I always simulated classroom environments. Like I would teach my friends 
dance classes and I would teach them exercise classes and I would videotape mock cooking classes. I just loved the art of teaching. So when I had the space to teach a three hour women's yoga workshop, I was just over the moon and I wanted, I wanted more. I wanted to, I wanted to teach more like that because I could go much more in depth than I could in a one hour, a one and a half hour class. So over the coming months and years, I moved up to doing a one day workshop and then a weekend workshop and then gradually felt confident enough to lead my first week long women's retreat at a a Buddhist Dharma center for women just on the outskirts of Chiang Mai. And I held my first retreat there. It went really well. So I decided to do that annually. And then over time, gradually, uh, my romantic and also business partner at the time, we lived in Thailand together and we decided to put together our first in Thailand's first 200 hour yoga Alliance teacher training and got to teach a whole month long intensive. And that was, that was really how I laid out the foundation. And from there, I started to get invitations to teach in other places around Asia. And I got more confidence to reach out to studios like in Bangkok or Malaysia or Hong Kong or, um, friends or people who became friends and like a man from Greece who was in our teacher training invited me to come and teach in Crete and a woman from Switzerland invited me to come and teach in Switzerland and they would host me there and bring their students and this was how this was how I really built my career a really thriving vibrant career where I met people from around the world and I got to travel the world and make a good living doing so However, I didn't only make a living from teaching yoga, as you can see in the beginning when I was just subbing and piecing classes together, I also needed to have a source of steadier income. And it helped that Thailand is very affordable compared to where I live now in the U.S. And I could get by, I could live really well with with a small amount of money. But I also did a lot of freelance writing. I wrote for Yoga Journal a lot. I wrote for other yoga magazines that are now out of business, health magazines. And so that would bring in you know, a big chunk of money every month as I was writing these articles. And also that was helping me to build my platform, build my audience, build my skill set, because I knew that one day I would also want to write a book. And then when I moved back to Boulder, I knew I was taking a risk. I knew I was taking a risk on a lot of levels, but mostly a financial risk because things are a lot more expensive in Boulder than they are in Chiang Mai, Thailand. And because there's a lot more yoga and some really, really established longtime yoga teachers here whom I would come to study with and Whereas in Thailand, I I was one of the first, you know, Western yoga teachers there. Uh, Boulder, I was I was a newbie, I was definitely a freshman in the in the yoga pond, and it was very very humbling to to have to to have to to have to start and get those crappy days and time slots at the yoga studios and have really small classes and not have people know who I was. 
and having to kind of build myself up again. And I eventually decided shortly after I moved to Boulder to shift from teaching those drop-in classes as I had done so much in Thailand to teaching more online. But it was, you know, in both cases, it's really just starting at the bottom of the totem pole. And starting at the bottom of the totem pole in the online world, just, you know, starting to teach simple tele-seminars about yoga and about women and writing blogs and writing for the Huffington Post and just bit by bit getting my stuff out there, having a presence on social media, sharing my voice, sharing my personality, being myself. So for any of us who are embarking on having a teaching path, who feel called to do that, really, really know that it takes time. It takes a lot of patience and perseverance. And it takes a lot of just willingness to be humble and willingness to teach just as wholeheartedly to one person as to 100 people. And to do that, you know, we've heard this and it's so true. Do not quit your day job. Do not, do not, do not expect your yoga teaching to pay the bills until it does. Because otherwise you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to lose the spark that practice gives you in the first place and people aren't going to want to come to your classes. So have another source of income. Have another source of income. I and mean, this is why So many times artists have a waitressing job or a bartending job, or in my case, a freelance writing job to keep steady income coming in through work that isn't going to be that taxing on you, but it's just, you know, it's just a way to make money. And then you have time to devote yourself to this other art, to this other craft. You also need to, if you really want to make it, you also need to embrace the art of hustling. And to be honest with yourself that if that's not part of your personality, are you willing to learn the skills of hustling? Or perhaps you need to reconsider how you want to teach. And, you know, maybe you're fine with just having like a super small class that you don't really market and that's not going to grow. And you're just doing that for your own love of it. It's not, you don't really want it to be a career or you're going to be like me. And I'm at my heart, I'm not a hustler, but I just learned to speak up for myself and to go to my edge and put myself quote unquote out there, whether that was hanging up flyers or in this day and age, it's posting on social media And sending out blog posts and sending out emails to new places where I might want to teach or new opportunities that I might want to partake in and having the strength to be rejected over and over and over again. It's not, it's not an easy path. It's not all green lights. There's going to be a lot more red lights than there are green lights. 
And it's the same, you know, it's the same in life. It's, it's not a free pass. Sometimes, sometimes it's easy, but a lot of times there's going to be challenges. So we need to be humble. We need to be perseverant. We need to take what we can get. Like my job at that, at that gym, like all of my subbing, so much subbing for other people. And I am so grateful for it. And I really, I encourage to help have faith in this. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, I think it's called Blink. I think that this, that's the one. And it's about really becoming a master at what you're doing. And he says that we need, and many others say that we need 10,000 hours working in a craft to become a master. And in that book, he tells the story of the Beatles who played in a shopping mall in Germany just over and over and over again. And it was really that experience of playing in the shopping mall to people who would just be walking by, not listening, that prepared them to become the Beatles, to perform on stage, to be captivating, to be magnetic to have that kind of stage presence because they had practiced so much. They had those 10,000 hours under their belts by the time that their careers really took off. And it's the same for us. You know, we just stay close to the earth doing our practice day in and day out. And if a larger opportunity opens up, we'll be ready for it. Also, there's a real energetic component to practice that we can't ignore, that it's really the more that we do our own practice, the more that we stay inspired by studying, reading books, taking courses, going to other teachers' classes, going on retreat, doing our own practice. So taking what we've learned, doing our own practice, Constantly building, adapting our practice, being curious, trying new things, going to new trainings. The more that we stay inspired and then translate that inspiration into our own teachings, the more that other people are going to be drawn to us. It's like moths really flocking towards the light. So it's imperative that we that we keep our inspiration for our own practice at the forefront And that's really going to be the groundwork from which we can be great teachers and from which we can attract the right students and from which we can stay fulfilled even when life presents us with less than optimal outcomes for our output. Our practice is also a space where we can recharge and be resilient Amid setbacks and where we can have the tools, you know, throughout so much of my teaching career, even now, there are voices in my head that say, you know, who do you think you are? You can't do this. You're not good enough for this. Recording this podcast, you know, you don't, you don't have anything valuable to say. So stupid. So these negative voices, they don't go away. They actually get louder the more that we step out and try new things. 
But through our practice, we can learn to talk back to them, to educate them, to speak to them from the part of ourselves that draws us to the practice, to make that part of our practice. And that's that's a huge part of my of my work, both on myself and with the women that I teach is how to work with this voice so it doesn't hold us back so that we can find a truer, more sovereign voice to mentor that voice into wholeness, into maturity. So we can ride out the peaks and valleys of our lives and our careers of our practice life, because there are always going to be peaks and valleys. And when we do these things, we can learn to market ourselves, to share ourselves from an authentic place. The more that we do our practice, the more that we can take refuge in the truth of who we are. We can discover our own voice, our own personality traits and idiosyncrasies that can actually be really beneficial to help us stand apart from the crowd. And we can find our niche. We can find our tribe. We can find what we want to specialize in. We can find an authentic way to share ourselves because we are really well-versed at authentically meeting ourselves and knowing ourselves, embracing ourselves, and accepting ourselves. And we can learn, you know, just like in that gym with the neon pink lights, I had to teach a really kind of upbeat form of yoga. I had to meet the students where they were. And there's a phrase that one of my colleagues shared with me many years ago that we give them what they want and also what they need. So it's both and. So in that gym, I would give them what they wanted, which was kind of a sweaty, upbeat practice. And I would also give them what they need, which is what I couldn't help but but being myself, which is just quieter and gentler and using poetic language and encouraging them to breathe and sharing positive, uplifting phrases to help them feel better about themselves and their bodies and their lives. I couldn't help but doing that, but do that because that's who I am and that's why I'm drawn to practice. And of course, now it's different because I have, I have been teaching this for close to 20 years now. And now I do have the great opportunity to only teach to people who really want what I have and to, to draw in those people and to, to not be teaching in gyms, but to know that I could do that, to know that I could step in to really any environment and meet people where they are and give them a fulfilling experience. So our practice of teaching is just like our practice on the mat or on the cushion. It's, it's equal parts of working, working, um, hustling, being uncomfortable, 
being with what is, knowing how to navigate ups and downs. And then part of it is also coming home to ourselves, accepting ourselves, finding that inner magnetism that inspires others and makes them want to commit to more, makes them want to come be around us, makes them want to gather around the fire of practice. So the more that we keep our own fire lit, the more other people are going to be drawn to that fire. And getting those people to do that is going to become less and less challenging. So see what from today's conversation feels the most relevant for you right now in your own teaching. You know, maybe do you need to explore an alternate source of income? Are you placing too much pressure on yourself to make money from your passion right now? And that's causing your passion to become very stressful. Like maybe the life you were trying to avoid by making a living from that passion in the first place. Maybe you need to hustle a little bit more and send out tons of emails, go out and meet people in your field, start subbing, apply for jobs in all sorts of places just to get more experience, just to get your foot in the door. Getting your foot in the door is the first step to opening more and more doors. Maybe you need to reignite your home practice that space from which you can inspire and magnetically inspire others. Walk around with a practice notebook. If I go to a class, if I listen to a talk, if I do an online program, if I go to a training or retreat, I always have my practice notebook and I take notes. What are the practices that we did? What effects did it have on me? What ideas do I have from this? How can I translate this into my own practice and teaching? I keep it all in one place so that I'm always growing and learning. So the best teachers are the best students. If you want to be a better teacher, look at, you know, what else do you need to study? How else can you learn? How else can you be humble and keep coming back to the practice with beginner's mind, with curiosity, with freshness over and over again? This is really the key to our own happiness our own fulfillment, and to helping others to have the same. And speaking of tending to that inner flame, I'm going to be burning a big, beautiful, nourishing bonfire of exquisite teachings on all things related to women's yoga, meditation, and feminine spirituality. This is happening next April in Calistoga, the heart of California's beautiful wine country for our week-long practice intensive. You see, I chose this particular spot to host this new and improved She Yoga and Meditation teacher training because I myself have taken a retreat at this particular center, Mayakamas Ranch. I found the rooms and the beds to be really comfortable, the grounds, especially the walking trails, to be really inspiring, and the food was delicious. It felt like restaurant quality. Just A lot of it is 
grown on the grounds, organic, just freshly made. And the staff was super friendly and helpful. It really felt like the perfect blend of luxury and nature of getting away from it all while also not being that hard to get to. It was just a little bit over an hour from the San Francisco airport. So I really feel that this is the perfect space for us to come together as an intimate group of women from around the world to recharge, rekindle our inner flames through nature, silence, sisterhood, and these practices that have saved my life over and over again for the past 20 years and have helped to do the same for all the women that I've taught them to. And this She Yoga Meditation Teacher Training is open for registration right now, but only for just about another week. So this really is your last chance to join us. And the last time I offered this training was three years ago. So I honestly don't know when will be the next time I'll offer it after this. If you want to go deeper into some of these topics and many, many more, and if you'd like some loving support in allowing all parts of your life to blossom from your practice and to let your teaching also blossom from that place. I hope you'll explore the She Yoga and Meditation Teacher Training. You can learn more and join us for this life-changing week at sheyogatraining.com. All right, sisters, it's time for us to say goodbye for now. I hope you enjoy the rest of your summer or whatever season it happens to be where you live when you're listening to these. And I do sincerely hope that these poolside sutras have enriched your life and soothed your sweet feminine soul in some way. And if that is the case, I would be so grateful if you could write a review for this podcast on iTunes. That is honestly the best way for you to support me in continuing to share these teachings in this way. And more importantly, in helping the women who need this wisdom to find it. Last, I'll be back again in a few months with our winter series, Bubble Bath Wisdom. Until then, I'm sending you my heartfelt support. Thank you for practicing. Continue to practice. And thank you so much for being part of our sisterhood.